Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. These are amazing days to be alive. You're looking at me like I'm Ronald McDonald or something. Like, man, you've been living in a box? Like, uh, no, I haven't been living in a box and I haven't had my head buried in the sand. These are amazing days to be alive. If there was ever a season of life where I felt primed and privileged to be a believer in Jesus, it is this season right here. Let me tell you, if your gospel only works while things are working well for you, your gospel really doesn't work. If your gospel only works in times of comfort and luxury and when our entitlements are being enjoyed, you don't have a real gospel. The gospel tells us that through suffering and sorrow and trial and problems and persecution, that the church of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. That the kingdom of God will advance in every season and that God's purposes will be fulfilled. And that we as a people have been wildly possessed by God's spirit, born again from above, planted in our city, nation, and the nations of the earth to ready all of creation for the return of the king. We are alive for right now. I'm telling you, you you don't need fire on your life to stand in convenient places. You don't need fire on your life when you just want to take a vacation. You don't need fire on your life when you just want to check out and stand where it's well lit and all of these other things. You need fire when things get hard. You need fire when times get tough. You need fire when the days get dark. But I'm thankful for the glory of God that's been revealed to us in the face of Jesus. And that now as a people, God has readied our lives for the days that we are living in right now. It's time to arise and shine. You're going to believe it by the time I'm done. It's cool, and you may not, but I mean, that's, that, that's cool too. We're definitely going to give it a shot. Um, I am thrilled to just be present in the same place together with you guys. Um, We've all been experiencing a unique season of isolation, right? Some people say quarantine, I say consecrate. You can go through the same thing with a different posture and arise on the other side, a wildly different person than others that have been experiencing the same process. Um, Our perspective determines our posture. You lock me away and give me nothing else to do except spend time with Jesus, it's going to be trouble. (laughs) Unless you're binge-watching Netflix. Uh, I'm excited to see you. Anna and the kids send their greetings. My kids were mad that I didn't bring them, but they're in school, um, on campus, uh, because we believe God's going to use them as divine agents brokers of breakthrough, um, little conduits of divine healing and hope for the power of God upon these little munchkins is going to wildly take over their little school campus. And there's enough of them that we have sent back to school to where they are the majority. Between my kids and Steve's kids, I think we have half the school. <laughs> Ten is a lot. <laughs> Uh, But Anna and the kids send their greetings. Um, Since we were with you last, I know that um, Pastor announced that Steve and Cherie have welcomed another little boy into their family. Um, Since the time that we were together last, we are anticipating a new baby ourselves in April. Um, But also, if you track with us in any way, maybe you have seen the testimony or the report that we have posted uh, in different ways where, yes, we are really excited that we are expecting. Um, But prior to expecting this time, we were expecting a previous time. 
And I shared the testimony of such in the 8 o'clock gathering, and I feel to do so now, too. Um, We were expecting, and we were excited about the word of the Lord and things that God had said to us and revealed to us in a variety of ways that had us tracking and believing in a specific way. And it was almost like the culmination, if you would, of uh, the journey that we had been on with Jesus. And when mom came home and told the rest of us that she was pregnant, uh, it actually happened to be the exact same day that I broke my back two months ago or two and a half months ago. By the way, I broke my back two and a half months ago. I severely fractured my L5. The doctors told me that it would be three or four or six months even before I could bend or even attempt to stretch again. Uh, But how many of you know that we're not normal? And that even when we go through things that seem normal to other people... Even when we have to be pressed and squeezed and face times of uncertainty, as it may seem, uh, I looked into the face of the doctor and I told him, I said, hey man, that's great. I understand that you're communicating to me a normal process. I don't consider myself to be normal. So you're just helping me to know how to pray because whether God raises me up in a moment or whether he accelerates the time frames of what you call to be normal, I'm going to believe God. And four weeks later, the doctor told me, hey, we actually talk about you almost every day in the office. Um, We've actually never seen anything like it. I've never seen someone suffer the severity of injury that you have had. He's like, we have no way to medically categorize you. Like four weeks ago, you severely fractured your lower lumbar spine, your L5. And today you're a brand new person. So the same day that I broke my back, we found out we were having a baby. Um, The same day I broke my back is actually the same day that we announced to our team that we would be going to Milwaukee also. (laughs) Coincidence, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, And we were believing God. And several weeks later, um, as a matter of fact, Anna was several weeks into the pregnancy. And then we found out that we had lost a baby. And we had never lost a baby before. You see, but there is a variety of ways to handle the perceived difficulties that come at us in life. All right, you you recognize as well as I do that our promise is not that we're going to be exempted from trouble. Because God has taken up residency on the inside of us, because the Holy Ghost has been shed abroad in our hearts, because we are being conformed into the image of Jesus and his promise is that he would never leave us nor forsake us and that he would be with us even until the end of the age as we labor and live well for him. He did not ever say that we were going to be excluded from testing, from trial, from pain, from suffering. So there's a variety of ways that we can handle the difficulties that seem to come upon us or present themselves to us in life. Uh, And we were devastated. Really, really, I mean like really, really devastated. Um, Felt really attacked. Um, Just the whole combination, if you would, of things that were happening at the same time uh, put us in a unique squeeze. And we sat down at the table and had to tell the kids, uh, I'll just go ahead and say, uh, it's holding a strong vote for possibly the number one hardest conversation I've ever had to have with my kids. Um, And so we sat down with our 10-year-old, 8-year-old, 5-year-old, and now 18-month-old, who he didn't really care. He didn't understand what was actually happening. Um, He is a little Hurricane Isaiah. (laughs) We're Floridians. I have to use hurricane terminology. Um, And as we revealed to them what was happening, um, my two older kids broke down crying. Uh, It hit them really, really hard. Um, My five-year-old was really distraught for about five minutes and then was asking for popsicles and snacks. Uh, You know, depending on where you're at, you process things a little differently. And Araya looked at me and she said, Dad, does this mean that we're no longer going to have a sibling? Does this mean that God's not going to give us a brother or a sister? And I said, well, babe, um, we have an incredible opportunity 
You see, because I, I see it that way. I believe that there are wonderful opportunities embedded into experiences that we may not have chosen for ourselves. And that we can go through things that we don't like and arise on the other side something that we do like. Uh, we don't have to become bitter. We can actually become better. All right? And I said, we have a wonderful opportunity to determine what type of family we're going to be. She was like, what are, like, what are you talking about? I don't understand. I said, well, babe, we, we, we say that we love Jesus. And we say that we've committed our life to him. And we say that we're going to live for him no matter what comes. I said, well, life is going to test us in that. And life is going to provide opportunities and experiences in order for us to live the truth of what we communicate. I said, and here we are, and we have to come to the center of the table and determine together what it is that we actually believe. I said, do we believe that God spoke to us about having a sibling? I'm sharing this story for a, a particular reason. And she said, I, I believe that. I said, why do you believe that? She said, well, because I had a dream and, you know, she has her journal and she scribes and uh, she's a dreamer like her mom. And uh, she has all these dreams and all these things that she knew that she had seen from the Lord, even down to like what, what he or she is going to look like uh, in this instance a she. And, and I was like, okay, so baby, those things are real, right? And she's like, yes, they're real. I said, did they happen? She said, yes, they happened. And I said, who else? And I looked at my son and he shared experiences and I looked at my other daughter who believes that even Jesus in a dream was handing her uh, a younger sibling and she has the name and all of these things. And I said, did those things actually happen? Yes, they happened. I said, well, right now we're going through something that we don't like. I said, and what happens in most cases is because we end up somewhere we don't like, because life turns into something that we did not anticipate, because the events of such as they get set up, they want to make us believe that those things that at one point when we had the experience of them, we knew that they were real. We knew that God had come to us. We knew the revelatory insights or the encounters or the experiences that they were as real as anything we had ever known. But then it's our circumstances that want to begin to preach to us in a greater way than at one point we knew God did. And what happens most times is we surrender things that we knew were real because we end up in a place that we don't see how it could possibly agree with what God said. And I said, baby, I, I know that those things are real and I know that right now we are in a place that is also real and there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of frustration. Um, I said, we're, we're going to process this in him um, because things that you process outside of him, you find other ways to cope other than him. <laughs> but we've given our life to him and so as we walk with him and in him if there's going to be a place or in front of a person where you have a breakdown break down in Jesus unravel in Jesus I said baby it's okay to be upset it's okay to cry it out it's okay to be frustrated it's okay to process all of the anger because you didn't understand I said God's not afraid of how wounded you seem to be right now and I said, we have to make a decision. If those things are real, then just because we're going through what we're going through, are we still going to choose to believe? I said, because I know our circumstances want us to forfeit. They want us to surrender. They want us to uh, give up the word of the Lord, so to speak. And I said, were they real? She said, yeah. I said, I believe they were too. I said, so baby, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna grieve and believe. Not one or the other. We're going to do both. <laughs> we're going to grieve, which means we're not going to pretend like it didn't happen. It wasn't pretend. It was real. And we're going to ask the Lord to sustain our confidence in him. So that as he processes us through this, we can heal well and become whole on the other side. And we can continue to believe even though there's a season where we may seem to be grieving. And so people would ask us, how are you doing? And we would say, we're grieving and believing. And we're like, oh, what? We're like, no, no, we're doing both at the same time. Because the pain is real, but so is the word of the Lord. And Anna went back to the doctor a couple of weeks after that. 
because she was going through some things in, in her body and didn't understand necessarily what was going on and went back to the doctor and the doctor came into the room and said, you are never going to believe what is going on with you. You're pregnant. And he said, God must really want you to have a baby because there's not even enough time necessarily that has passed in order for this to have happened so quickly. Uh, I want to encourage you that the appearance of death and defeat, death and defeat are subject to the purposes of God. He is a God that speaks those things that are not as though they were. And he calls into being things that were not and he gives life to the dead. He says, for I am the resurrection and the life. And if you would simply choose to believe, then you will see the glory of God. I don't know what you came into 2020 believing. I don't know what promises you were carrying. I don't know what things God revealed to you that created hope and confidence and excitement in your heart and spirit. And now the context or now the circumstantial evidence that has affected the globe and the way that events have turned out, it may have attempted to deteriorate that joyful hope and confidence on the inside of you. But I came to exhort you. That God is not a man, that he would change his mind. He's not a liar. The word of the Lord shall prevail. Though the flower fades and the grass withers, my word shall endure forever. And that this is the context for the word of the Lord to thrive in your life that this is the season and the setting in order for all of those things that God has spoken into your wildest dreams and imaginations. This is the season for fulfillment and breakthrough. In Jesus' name, if we would choose to believe. Um, it is amazing to be with you uh, in a moment. We are going to look at some passages in the word that I believe the Lord has put into my heart for you this morning. Um, but before we do that, I want to take a moment intentionally, uh, not, not for protocol's sake and, and all of those other, um, just, it's not fake, we can say that, to honor your pastors. John and Rainy Dawn and the boys, John and Jeremiah and Josiah, we love them. We are honored to be connected by God's design to see the cities of our nation and the nations of the earth completely rocked for Jesus. Um, but beyond that, we are thrilled for the privilege to be together, to be family, to see in the place of relationship, Jesus form his image in us in a covenant way that would reveal to the rest of the age and even the powers of the air that what he has secured for himself by the wisdom of the cross, the hostile powers and principalities will never be able to conquer or divide. And so we are grateful to be connected. Bro, you know we love you, we honor you, um, mean that with all of our hearts. And we are grateful to be a part of this family and for the way that you have welcomed us in, uh, myself, my family, our whole team. Um, I'm going to just continue with where I started. And I want you this morning to really track with me in a specific way, because I didn't come to lead some pep rally, but I came for the sober consideration of why we are living our life the way that we are living it and what we are living it for and where it is actually going. Because if these last months have taught us anything, it should be this. In the midst of all of the things that we may have been learning, there is one lesson that should have come to the surface and become ultimate in a sense while the classroom of conflict has been happening for each one of us. And if we have learned anything over the past months, it should be this. Nothing is as certain as we maybe once thought it was. 
anything can be shaken. Anything can be shaken. Whether it's world economies, whether it's the rising and the raging of nations against nations, whether it's governmental structures, whether it's political corruption, whether it's economic crisis, whether it's a disease or an infection or an infirmity or a pandemic, whatever it may be, whatever at one point we thought was certain, whatever at one point we thought would never be disrupted, whatever at one season we may have thought would be a steady place in the experience of our life, these past couple of months, in the classroom of conflict, we are learning very quickly not to place our hope in the wrong places. We are learning very quickly that God has a people in the earth and that that people, the church, the bride, the eternal companion for his son, King Jesus, whom he loves, the rightful ruler of the nations, all creation, and even the cosmos, that God has a people in the earth that belong to him and only him, and we are that people. We are that people. The church belongs to Jesus. The church belongs to King Jesus. Now what that also means is that if the church belongs to Jesus, that means the church does not belong to anything or anyone else. That means the church doesn't belong to America. The church doesn't belong to America. The church is planted in America as a heavenly colony. The church is planted in America as a heavenly embassy. You're familiar with international embassies and things of such. It's a smaller representation of a larger reality that gets planted on foreign territory. And the church belongs to a king. It belongs to the king of kings and the lord of lords. The church belongs to Jesus which means it doesn't belong to America, which means that we are believers in Jesus that live in America. We are not Americans that are trying to be Christians. The way you order the words means everything, in fact, to the practical way that you are going to fight for certain leverages and entitlements. We're believers that live in America. We're not Americans that are trying to be Christians. We don't fight to be American first and then hope that along the way we can still fulfill our Christian commitment. We are a heavenly embassy planted in the nation of America here to represent the king. We are ambassadors of another kingdom. And we are planted here to ready this nation for the return of King Jesus. That's why we do ministry in this nation. We do ministry in this nation because the king is actually coming back. We export missionaries to the nations because the king is actually coming back. We're not fighting to be American first because the church doesn't belong to America. The church belongs to a king and that king has a kingdom and that is where we belong. And that is what we are here to represent. And so we're not fighting to be American. And if we're not fighting to be American, then that means all of the constructs and systems that are built into the fabric of the American experience are not where we are finding our purpose or the demonstration of our power. That means the church doesn't belong to politics. <laughs> oh man. The church isn't a Republican party. The church isn't a Democratic party. The church isn't even an independent party. When Joshua confronted the angel of the Lord, the host of the armies of God, he asked him, whose side are you on? My side or the enemy's side? And he said, you're asking the wrong questions. I don't box myself into the same categories that you do. I'm not on your side or their side. I'm on my own side and I'm doing my own thing. And I would encourage you to side with me. The church doesn't belong to politics. Jesus isn't the president of a political party. He's not some elected official. He's not a governor. He's not a senator. He's not lobbying for votes. He's been installed. He's been established. It's a wrap. It is a done deal because his father has said so. 
and he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he's not out parading around trying to rally the Christian vote like a politician. You do understand that to a certain degree it is pure insanity to me how the church has become a political puppet in the hand of politicians. Well, I've got to say certain things to make sure that we can secure the Christian vote, you know, because they've just become another demographic of people in America. Well, I got to do this to get the black vote. I got to do this to get the white vote. I got to do this to get the Christian vote. The church doesn't belong to politics and the church doesn't belong to the government. The church doesn't belong to some 501c3 status. The church belongs to Jesus. The church doesn't belong to Uncle Sam for its tax exemption privileges. The church belongs to Jesus. We don't belong to some activism group. We don't belong to all of the influential causes that continue to rise up in the earth with all of these powerful influential faces and voices. We belong to a king and that king has a kingdom. And it's important for us in these days if we are going to live as a faithful people to the Lord that we determine where our place of identification actually comes from. We identify as believers in Jesus. We're King's kids. And we are planted in America to be a family that is on mission in our nation and throughout the nations to ready our own hearts and those around us for the return of this wonderful king. And there are incredible seasons and the fullness of time moments where God's strategic purposes get revealed and fulfilled. Galatians 4.4 tells us that in the fullness of time, God sent his son through a specific process, the womb of a woman coming through the life of a virgin, that God was getting ready to reveal a revelation of Jesus into a specific generation, and there was a unique time that he determined that he was going to do that. And prior to an unveiling of Jesus, there was a man that erupted in the wilderness, and his name was John. John had given himself into isolation and obscurity because of the voice of the bridegroom that had overwhelmed him and wooed him into a quarantine season. And John spent a season in isolation. He spent a season boxed out in the wilderness. He had a funky wardrobe and a weird diet. But a voice had overtaken his life. And he went away to be with the Lord. And Mark chapter 1 tells us that John came as a messenger to prepare the way for a great unveiling of Jesus in that generation. That God raised up a man in private. He developed a lover in the secret place. And when he had already predetermined to do so, he made him visible to his region in his generation in the fullness of time. And Mark chapter 1 tells us that John emerged. He erupted. One translation says that John had an appearing in the wilderness. He appeared. He became visible. The fullness of time put John's life on the stage of history and what God had already been developing in the secret place, God determined there needed to be a transfer into a public place because the unveiling of his son was coming. Oh, that we would have a vision of Jesus that would overtake and consume our lives. John severed himself from every system he walked away from every luxury. He turned his back on all of his privileges and his entitlements. And he said, wherever that voice goes is where I want to be. Wherever he would woo my heart is where I will follow. You've come knocking upon the door of my heart and life, and I will give you whatever it is that you ask for. And John spent a significant amount of time quarantined away in the wilderness. Some 33 years and he erupted, he arose, 
and he began to shine. And God put his life on the stage of history. Yes, it was a six-month window. All of what God did for him was for the purpose of six months. For some of us, that's incomprehensible. It's just complete ridiculousness. It's totally absurd to think that you could labor in the secret place for as long as John did and only have a six-month window where your life could find purpose. (laughs) Right? We seem to do the reverse. We spend six months getting ready and then want 30-something years of public visibility. (laughs) But John arose because his life had been overtaken. I want to ask you what your life has been overtaken by. The Song of Songs gives us a wonderful love story. It's a description of a beautiful simultaneous pursuit. There's the wooing of the bridegroom and the coming of the beloved. And then there's the one that he adores, the beautiful one, the darling. And in chapter 5 of Song of Songs, we we have, in verse 2, we have the darling, the one that is being hotly pursued. She says this. She says, I was asleep, but my heart was awake. Because a voice, the voice of the bridegroom, came, and I heard a knocking. Yea, though I stand at the door and I knock, I'm looking for one that would actually arise and open up and let me in. And she says, I was asleep, but I was awakened. I know that there are many of us who are familiar with the woke terminology in our culture, but I promise you there's only one way to really be woke. And it's to allow the knocking the influence of the bridegroom seeking entry into your own heart. The only way to really be awakened and to come alive in this season or in our generation is to give him the place of influence that he desires. And she says, I got up because I used to be asleep, but when he spoke to me, my heart, it awakened and I came alive. And I got up. You see, these are days where you just can't piggyback somebody else's intimacy. You can't piggyback somebody else's revelation. You can't piggyback someone else's depth. You can't piggyback their stature. These are days where you have to intimately know the Lord for yourself. You have to deeply cultivate a place of walking in fellowship with Jesus. These are days to behold the Lamb. These are days to smash the secret place. These are days to pray and to fast. These are days to worship and adore. These are days to behold the Lamb. to know him for yourself, for yourself. I'm not talking about the way that he knocks on someone else's heart. I'm not talking about touch three people and tell them this word is for you. I'm telling it this is for you. You have to know him for yourself. These are days to make sure that there is oil in your lamp and that your heart is burning for the king. She says, I I, I used to be asleep, but when the voice came, has the voice come to you? Has the voice come to you and awakened you out of your slumber? Has the voice come to you and awakened you and brought you to life? Because anyone that would pursue their life and preserve their life and try to do their own thing, those will actually be the ones that will end up losing their life. But anybody who's willing to lose their life for my sake and the gospel... I promise you, these are the ones that are really going to find purpose. These are the ones that are really going to walk in power. These are the ones that are going to truly understand why it is that they're alive. She says, I used to be asleep, but now I'm awake. And I'm awake because of a voice. And it troubled me to the point where I had to get up. I had to get up. And I went looking for him. And when I exited through the veil and I came out, I could not find him. And I began to pursue him. These are days for you to develop a pursuit of Jesus. 
while everything else is shaking, while everything else seems to be uncertain, while our hope that may have been anchored in the stock market or Wall Street or economy or all of our position and title and stature and influence in our own fame and our own riches, these are days to give up the pursuit of other things and to make sure I'm telling you, you you do whatever you want to, but I promise you there is one pursuit that is going to matter most at the end of the age. There's one pursuit that is really going to matter. It is going to be ultimate. Yeah, you did all those other things, but I never knew you. There is one pursuit, and she says, I got up and I had to go looking for him. I went to pursue him. And she was running around town like a wild woman searching for him what happened in private got transferred out into what was going on in public and she was running around like a wild woman in search of him man I'm praying that a pursuit of Jesus would so overtake you that you could no longer hide it, manage it, contain it, but that what God has caused to bubble up in the secret place would begin to boil out in a public arena and she goes looking for him and they begin to question her What are you doing? Why are you so crazy? What are you actually looking for? What is it about this thing or this person? And she says, listen to me. If you see him, you tell him that I'm lovesick. I need him. I will not stop trying to find him. If you see him, you tell him that I'm coming for him. And to which they reply, we're still in chapter 5, this is verses 8 and 9. What is it about this guy? Have you ever said that to somebody? What do you actually see in them? (laughs) It's a face only a mama could love. (laughs) She says, if you see him. Tell him I'm lovesick. And they say, what is it about him? What is it about him that has done this to you? What is it that you see in him that has created this lovesick, hostile, wild pursuit? And in verse 10, she says, my beloved is dazzling. Dazzling can be defined as a light that is so bright, it is so superior, it shines with such brilliance, it is a radiance that is supreme when held against all others. She says, I've seen a lot of things in my life, but when I saw him, other things used to shine until I saw him. Other things used to be attractive until I saw him. Other things used to compete and compare, but he's dazzling. He's dazzling, I tell you. There's no one like him. I've never seen anyone like him, and what I've seen in him, what I've seen in him has dimmed the shine of everything else that used to attempt to be bright in my heart, to gain my attention or to create traction for me to pursue it. I saw him and I must have him and I will continue to come after him because he is dazzling. That means he's put out every other light. That means that he has eclipsed every other attraction. That means that he has risen to the top and he has become my ultimate obsession. That means that everything else that used to pique my interest or have me fascinated in some way, he has become everything to me. I used to be asleep, but now I know why I'm alive and I will never stop coming after him. She says he's dazzling. Oh my, he is dazzling. She says he's ready too. And he's the chief among 10,000. The King James says the chiefest. It's not even a real word. 
But I'm telling you, when you see him for real, for yourself, you just start coming up with stuff. Because he's so other than anything I've ever seen. He transcends the human language. He's beyond all of the types and shadows and colors and imagery. When I behold how beautiful and wonderful and awesome he actually is in my own heart, I'll shout it too. You're the chiefest. The chiefest. Now chief means to take the lead, to become priority, to be the top person among 10,000. That's funny, among 10,000 what? Among 10,000 anything. You put Jesus next to 10,000 anything and he's better than the bunch. You put Jesus next to 10,000 of the most powerful people that have ever lived and he's the chiefest among 10,000. You put Jesus next to the most brilliant surgeons and doctors and physicians that have ever been alive and he's the chiefest among that crowd too. You put Jesus next to the most influential, the most beautiful, the people that our world esteems and prioritizes. He's the chiefest. And he's the chiefest among 10,000. You see, she's leading in the place of pursuit. Because what I've come to understand is that God takes lovers and makes them leaders. God takes lovers and creates them into laborers. I hear me, trust me. You will exhaust yourself trying to labor if you have not yet been loved. You will weary yourself trying to lead if you have not first been loved. But he takes lovers. He takes those where he has developed something in private. He takes the personal history that he has developed in you in the secret place. We're talking behind the scenes, beneath the surface. I'm not talking about for lights, camera, action. I'm not talking about for likes and followers and subscribers. I'm talking about you and Jesus, your life and his life in union, in the secret place, a beautiful convergence of a simultaneous love casting in the direction of one another. And we love him well because he has first loved us. But there are unique moments where he takes what he's done in our personal history and he decides to hang it in place on the public stage of history. He takes his story in us over time and determines to frame in the fulfilling of his own strategic purposes to advance his kingdom on the stage of history as we know it. And there are moments where because of what arises around us, it puts a demand on what God has done within us. What do I mean? Let's look at a couple of examples. David is a wonderful example. In 1 Samuel 16, he's anointed in private. In 1 Samuel 17, he's serving beneath the surface, behind the scenes. And David finds himself out in a field one day because he's just going to take lunch to his brothers. He's just satisfied serving. He's loving Jesus in a faithful way and not necessarily trying to make something of himself. But he's serving his father's desires and it puts him in an opportune moment. And he ends up out on the front lines of battle and there's a giant. But I want to encourage you that the giant that arose put a demand on what David carried. The giant that became visible in their generation put a demand on what David carried in their generation. God had done something in David in the secret place, readying him as a weapon to take down this giant in a public place. Could you possibly believe that God has been doing something in you strategically in order to dismantle certain giants that are trying to arise. Could you possibly believe that God has been setting you up to enter into the stage of history because of the personal testimony that he has developed in you when no one else potentially was even around. This is what happened to David. 
he ends up standing in front of Saul. And Saul is like, listen here, boy. You are going to get the brakes beat off you. There's no way that you could be the answer. There's no way that God could use you as a solution. And David says, hey, don't underestimate what God is doing in me. Listen here, man, don't get it twisted. You may have never seen me fight, but that doesn't mean that this is my first fight. He says, I've been fighting my whole life. He said, me and God, we've had something going when nobody else has been around. And there's been lions and there's been bears. And I've been training and I've been raised up and I've developed something in a private place that God is now ready to transfer into a public place. This might not be the only time that you see me fight, and, but this is definitely not my first fight. And David begins running towards what everyone else in their generation has been afraid of. For 40 days, they're getting punked by a giant that they knew where he lived. They were sensitive to the sound of his voice, but they were doing nothing in order to overtake or occupy the territory where the giant was standing. Could it possibly be that he who has an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying, though others' hearts have become cold and calloused and desensitized to the influence of the voice of the enemy in our generation, that God has been readying you? Because when the giant got up and began taunting, you could almost hear the Lord say, oh, I got something for you. I've been getting him ready for years. And everybody else is going to overlook him. Nobody else is going to be willing to bet on him. But I promise you, when I stand beside him, we're the majority. And there's not a giant in the land that's going to remain standing because of what I've been doing in the heart of this young man. There are certain influential moments in history where creative opportunities to rise to the occasion present themselves to those of us who say that we love him. And David says we're not fighting for a worldly cause. We're not simply defined as the servants of Saul, but we're the army of the Lord. And God's going to take you down, not because this worldly cause, not because of some politician, not because of some medic uh, person, but God's going to take you down because he wants to glorify himself in the midst of specific hostile situations. And David begins running to the front line of what everybody else was afraid of in their generation. This sounds similar to what happened to a company of folks in the upper room. Fire came on them. And God threw them out to the front lines. God put them out in the streets to shake things up. And there was a price to pay. And there was a cost to consider. And there was real pressure. Some of them were beaten. Some of them were tortured. Some of them were stoned. Some of them were imprisoned. Other ones of them were publicly executed after years of faithfully running and living and serving the King of Kings. But God put fire on them to throw them into the midst of what seemed to be a tumultuous circumstance. Some of us think that God is going to put fire on us to hide us. But could it possibly be that all the fire you carry has been waiting for this moment right here? For God to put you down in the center. For God to allow you to rise to the occasion in the midst of and God threw them out into the streets. And years later, there was one of them who was ordained and they laid hands on him and he was filled with the Holy Ghost and he had wisdom and he was serving in the food pantry for years who's out in the streets. And there's miracles on his life and there's wisdom that can't be refuted. And in Acts chapter 6, Stephen is put on trial. And in Acts chapter 6, while he's on trial, hear this, he's been arrested, so to speak. And while he is under arrest and standing on trial, in Acts 6, verse 15, it says that when they looked at him, that his face began to shine. And that his face was glowing and it was radiant like that of an angel. Psalm 34, 5 says, those who look to him will be radiant. And he will not disappoint them. Moses went to the mountaintop to be with God in Exodus 34. And it says that when he came back down, the people were afraid of him 
because there was a glow, there was a shine, there was a radiance, there was an illumination, so to speak, that had come upon the countenance of Moses, and it was something that they could not understand, and fear gripped them because of what they saw that was on him. But Moses didn't go to the top of the mountain looking for a face-shining anointing <laughs> so that he could start having glow meetings. Moses went to the top of the mountain to be with God. And God did something in him that became visible to all those around him. And Stephen's standing there and his face is shining. Let me just submit to you that you will always reflect what you mainly behold. Because you become what you behold. And those of us that spend all of our time looking at the news, sifting through the media, figuring out what every conspiracy theory on Facebook or Instagram is talking about. Let me just encourage you. For some of you, get off of Facebook and get into the face of Jesus. Get off of Facebook and get into the face of Jesus because you cannot fake what is on your face. Jesus said, when your eye is single, your whole body will be filled with light. There's a singular devotion. This one thing I ask, this is what I will seek, to be in your house, to gaze upon your beauty, to behold you. You will always become what it is that you behold. And Stephen is standing in the midst of a tragic situation. He is arrested and on trial because of what God is doing in his life. Let me encourage you, what God is doing in your life is not always going to create cheerleaders. People are not always going to be readily excited to rally around and to offer their support because of what God is doing in you and because of the shine that has come upon you in certain seasons. But Stephen is standing, and he's standing tall in a moment of adversity. And he's giving testimony to the King of Kings, to the Son of Man, the rightful ruler of the nations. And it says that the crowd became enraged. They didn't want to hear it anymore. Stop saying what you're saying. But Stephen kept preaching. Stephen kept testifying. And they began to cover their ears and gnash their teeth. And it said that they began to run at him. <laughs> We're familiar with mobs and crowds. They began to run at him. And while they initiated something in his direction, it says that he was overwhelmed. He was overcome, so to speak, in the moment. And he lifted his head. And the heavens were ripped open. And he gazed into a heavenly place. And he saw Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus stood up. At this point, the rocks started flying. Stephen was branded with a vision of Jesus in the midst of persecution. Jesus branded Stephen's heart and his eyes with a fresh unveiling of himself while there was trouble, while he was on the verge of crossing over to the other side of his last breath. Our promise is not that God will only be good to us when things are going good. Our promise is that Jesus will be near to us, whether we're in the fiery furnace, whether we're in the lion's den, whether we're standing against the mob and the rocks are flying, that the way we behold him will define everything about the way that we live for him. Because who it is that we believe we belong to will be the thing that ultimately troubles us and creates movement in our hearts. The Shulamite woman said, I heard a voice. And that voice created movement in my life. What have you been moved by in this season? Because Stephen said, I've been moved by a voice. 
and I will not deny him. Paul said in Philippians 1, it is my hope and my expectation that regardless of what happens to me, that Jesus will be exalted in my life, by life or by death. For they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony loving not their own lives even when confronted with death itself let me encourage you self-preservation is a prison that only the love of Jesus can free us from self-preservation is a prison Jesus said those of us that try to self-preserve those of us that try to do it our own way, those of us with forms of godliness denying the power thereof, those of you who will not allow my influence into your heart, though I stand and I knock, those of you that will not allow my voice to permeate through the fabric of your being to awaken you to the real purpose that I have for you, those will be the ones that end up losing their life. But anybody who's reeling to lose their life in me and unto me? Anybody who's willing to really pick up their cross and deny themselves and follow me? Anybody who's ready and willing to be a faithful witness by life or by death? Anybody who's willing to allow me to love them because the love of Jesus should be freeing us from the love of ourselves. The love of Jesus should be freeing us from the love of the world. And self-preservation becomes a prison we become captives to the idea of ourselves in our own lives that only the love of Jesus can actually set us free from. And Stephen is standing in a moment where he's about to lose his life, but he is so gripped with a vision of Jesus that it transcends even the thought of trying to stop what is happening to him. And he begins to intercede. <laughs> Rather than retaliating, he's interceding. Only a vision of Jesus can do that in our heart. Only a vision of Jesus can free us where we end up fulfilling God's purpose for us rather than the worldly purposes that we have created for our own lives where we attempt to define ourselves by our own worldly entanglements and pursuits the love of Jesus has come crashing into the prison cell of self-preservation and released a people into the nations that are wild that are obsessed that are in love and they are free and because they're free they're unstoppable you couldn't possibly disrupt with what God is doing in my life because he's gifted me, right? We all want to be gifted in a variety of ways and, you know, we try to fit our lives into different conversations of gifting according to what we think is, you know, preferable for us or to what we applaud. Uh, let, let me tell you the gift that we all need. You need the gift of yes in your life. The gift of yes. Lord, whatever this means, Wherever this goes, whatever cost there would be to pay, I've let you in. And I've given you everything because you've given me everything. And I'm not trying to protect or preserve some idea of who I should be. And Lord, if you've already determined that my life has been fashioned for such a time as this, then let me rise to the occasion. Leonard Ravenhill said the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. There's an opportunity before us. There's a season that has opened itself up to us where what God has been doing in you, there has now been a demand that has been put on it where it can no longer be bound up in a secret place, but God is looking for lovers that he can transfer into a public place because he has been awaiting this moment, this hour to strategically set your life on the stage of history. And I don't know about you, but I want to be one in the midst of a company that will prepare ye the way of the Lord. John was a person in his generation prior to the first unveiling of Jesus, but prior to the second coming of Jesus, it will not just be a person, but it will be a people, and I want to be one of the ones 
that are a part of that company preparing a way for the return of the king. This is the point of our life to ready the nations for the return of this wonderful king. And it is my hope that God would exalt his son in us by life or by death. Death is no longer the final enemy. Oh, death, where is your sting? Death is now a tool in the hand of God because death is no longer what eternally destroys us. Death is now what eternally transforms us where we will be glorified on the other side of our last breath to serve in the midst of ruling the nations and creation alongside of Jesus forever and ever. And it is that purpose that plants your life and mine in the world, but makes us not of the world. You are not like everybody else, and it's time to start living like we actually believe it. What a tragedy it would be to be in this season as an unbelieving believer. It's time to start living like we believe what we say we believe. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app. 